All right, folks, welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. I'm sorry, I can't find my microphone or my podcast kit recorder. But don't worry, that's not going to degrade the quality of the conversation that Clay Walker, country star, Texas legend, and famed golfer uh, from the AT&T Prime. Doors opening. I guess there's a, a ghost in the house. Also, Snowball just ran away, and he's back. So all is well. But uh, anyway, before we get started, want to give a shout out to the partners that make everything that we do possible at Random Golf Club. TaylorMade, obviously they make the best clubs in the biz. Jones Golf Bags, a great place to put those clubs. Um, headquartered in Portland, Oregon, get your Jones bag today. Vice Golf Balls, straight out of Munich. That's a rap album that never quite made the charts. But uh, anyway, they make a great golf ball for half the price and we got a new rgc vice ball coming out precision pro best range finder in the biz if you want to get a custom rgc range finder with slope and free battery replacement for life head over to randomgolfclub.com pick one up uh also check out a whoop strap get your whoop strap folks and find out about your body i learned a lot of things i didn't know and um, it's really been an impactful way for me to look at the way I both sleep and, you know, exercise. Also, COVID monitoring device. Need I say more? Okay, anyway, fade me out and let's fade in Clay Walker. And uh, I'll see you at the break for a couple more ad reads, y'all. What, I, what is this room you're in? This looks—it looks like you're a lawyer, honestly. <laughs> no, um, we got my uh, Arnold Palmer win right here, the Arnie Award. <laughs> I've got, I love uh, that. I've got my uh, this. I got more golf stuff in here than anything. My my first hole in one. Me at Pebble Beach with my son. Um, got you know most pictures are golf stuff. You know, um, just I'm a golf junkie like you. What? Uh, where was your first hole in one? My only hole in one was at Falcon Ridge in uh, in uh, Kansas City. It was a little 127 yard hole. I hit a pitching wedge, and it one hopped in. It was it was beautiful, just beautiful. Um, so I guess first of all, thank you. Uh, I'm I've been looking forward to this for a while. I'm a big fan of your music, and I'm a big fan of. I feel like you know, for a long time, I lived in Los Angeles, and everyone would be surprised that I love country music. And so I'm, I'm, I, I love country music. I have for a long time. And, um, I guess yeah. KZLA, to, to, man, KZLA. Exactly. <laughs> they, they, they love it too. So when you go looking back, like when you, uh, you know, were a young man, like, uh, you know, before you kind of, uh, submitted the tape, I, I'm sure the whole submitting the tape story must be incredible. And I'm sure you've told it a thousand times. Um, but were you playing golf at that time, or when, when did it come into your life? It, oh, it would no, seem like no, no. I, I was poor. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I, was, I was so poor, I couldn't afford to play golf. I mean, plus, I grew up in a pasture, you know, raising horses, cattle, and never even saw a golf club. I mean, that was close to a golf club as I ever got was a garden hoe. <laughs> <laughs> but I fell in love with the game um, after my career took off. You know, we were on the, on the road, and, you know, I was an athlete all through uh, grade school and high school, and – and uh, you got all that pent up energy out on the road. I mean, you got to do something with that, right? And so my road manager at the time played golf, and he said, "Man, you might like golf." 
went out and uh, I thought I was going to be really good at it, you know, and, and cause I feel like I'm a good athlete and I sucked so bad. It was, you know, and, and I'll got to tell I had a temper and I would break clubs and stuff. I was just stupid, you know, when I was, when I was younger and, and, and I would never break a club now, but golly, I, I, I broke a lot of clubs in the beginning and it probably offended a lot of people too. But you, I, I was listening to your little seven, you got, there's a seven minute uh, video of you on, on YouTube and my, uh, my guy that, that does our video stuff, he forwarded it to me and because I, I said, Hey, I want to know a little bit more about Eric. I said, I, I know he's like, you know, the face of the PGA, blah, blah, blah. And so I was looking at it, man, you had so many great quotes in that thing, man. It was like, you, you you should just take those quotes and just just stack them up for like you know today's listener of your only has about thirty seconds worth of attention span anyway so so busy it, it fit me so well man I mean like everything you said would just lined up and uh, anyway yeah you're, you're you're great for the game man are you t- I thank you I'm honored did did you see were you talking about the deer golf video no um listen i'll tell you what it is but this i'm is, curious to know which video it is it's worth seeing man i mean it's, it's, it's i should check minutes. it out <laughs> it's, it's seven minutes and uh honestly i was i was blown away uh by it it's called uh how he made it it's this one right here i don't know if it's, if it's picking up or not um how he made it i gotta but, watch yeah. that one i haven't seen that but, but this some of the, the quotes in this are Can honestly yeah, yeah, you know, and, I, and I, I pay for the non-ad YouTube, All right. but yet there's always an ad that comes on. I'm here to show you nothing else. Golf doesn't suck, and then you should try it. Oh, you know, this might be my buddy Drew. That's my buddy yeah, Drew. Yeah, yeah, Drew. Yeah, Drew, Drew, Drew. Yeah, so he came out to uh, L.A., yeah. Yeah, the editing on it's great, and uh, I, I just, I'm curious about one thing. I, I know this is random, but but there's a clip in there of you playing the 18th at St. Andrews and I played St. Andrews several times. Have you ever made a par on the road hole? It's a good question. I played the old course three times. I feel like no, may, no. maybe not. I mean, not memorably. No, no, it's a no. I've played probably, you know, 25 times of pros and I've only seen one make a, a par there. So it's a hard <laughs> hole. Can't, <laughs> it's a hard it's so hard it's so hard <laughs> so where are you right now where do you live um, i'm in nashville uh okay. well actually a little town called santa fe tennessee is about about an hour from nashville um okay. I'm a texas boy got a you know still got a texas driver's license and still have a place in texas and we go back and forth a lot uh, probably be a lot more in texas over the winter um but definitely some great golf courses around here i belong to a golf golf club called Golf Club of Tennessee, and yeah. it's a Fazio course, really awesome. And and uh, you know, like you, I, I've seen you, you've you've played in a lot more countries than I have, by the way, according to that video. But <laughs> golf is awesome everywhere, and it's so different depending on the terrain you're in. And uh, Tennessee is is absolutely stunning in the fall to play golf. I uh, I I've only played a little bit in Tennessee. Um, the, the yeah we so I just moved from LA to Austin so I'm in Texas now. Yeah, I hear Austin is the new LA. Is that what they say? <laughs> no, I don't I'm, know if that's good or bad. <laughs> all the Californians are moving from, from California, to Texas, and and you know, and mostly you know, Austin is 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 uh, 
is pretty fine. You know, it's, it's high tech and uh, just a lot of, a lot of diversity there. I think it's probably, you know, the most, well, that in Houston, pretty diverse, but yeah, you like it. Do you like Austin? I like it so far. Yeah. I want to, um, I want to uh, like learn more about being here. Really. I would like, you know, what, do you have any advice for being, uh, you know, what, what, what do you need to know about living in Texas? That's kind of where I'm at right now. It's only been like a couple of weeks. Well, you know, Texas is called, is called the friendly state and you're hard pressed to find people who are rude. Most people really are kind, you know, and they they love their state. I love, I love my state obviously. And Texas is, is, uh, is welcoming, but you're going to have to live there at least 10 years before they consider you a local. <laughs> okay. so, so I got, I got 10 years left. You got 10 years before you're a local. <laughs> and, um, and it's the coolest parts about, Texas to me are the, the the little towns that surround major cities, you know, like a dripping Springs, for example, you got, you got to go out there. I shot one of my videos called uh, dreaming with my eyes open in that town when it, when it, when it was nothing, when there was nobody there and uh, meant, you know, Austin and people are going to want to shoot me over this one has the best barbecue. It is, I I'm you, it's, if you have a barbecue place in Austin, Texas, it's going to be great because the competition is so strong, right? Yeah. It's, you got to be really, so you're not going to find a bad barbecue spot in Texas. You'll get run out of business. Um, I'm I say that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's because, you know, we have great wood, you know, great Oak, you know, post Oak and different kinds of Oak mesquite even, but, uh, but, uh, Texans are really, are really big about, uh, about family too. I, I, you know, that is one state that most people party with their family. <laughs> I think that's cool, man. <laughs> I like that. I like country that. music. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, that's, yeah, that's unique. In LA, they're there to get away from their family. Um, so, so, um, you're, you're, so I think a lot of musicians have, have, have you talked to a lot of other musicians about, the kind of experience of getting into golf and then traveling with your clubs and kind of, uh, you know, bringing the game with you. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a pretty strong country music contingency that, that, that plays golf. You know, when we go out and play, for example, the, the AT&T at Pebble beach, you know, happens every year in, in February and they have a lot of, a lot of celebrities and pro golfers play together. And that's, pretty much the draw, you know, of the, of the tournament or the, excuse me, the, the style and setting of the tournament is to have celebrities involved ever since Bing Crosby's day. So when you look across the field, the majority of the celebrities uh, are country music guys. Right. The, and they're also the better players. And, you know, I, I can't really put my, you know, finger on it. You know, I would say that, that tempo may have something to do with it. I don't know, but you know, the last four out of, four out of five years, you know, when you get to the million dollar hole, um, I've won it. Colt Ford has won it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Joe Don from Rascal Flats won it. And uh, then I think Colt won it again. So four out of five years, you got country music guys winning against all the celebrities. And then I've also won the, uh, the celebrity shootout uh, two years in a row. And yeah. so, yeah, we, we love taking our clubs with us. But again, you know, when you're on the road, people think it's glamorous, but 
it's the part about it that is so great is that 90 minutes that you get on stage, but that's it. The rest of, of it is just grinding and, and like it's, uh, you know, getting on the bus and not getting good sleep and, and very few places have great food. And you're just, it's, you're no sleep, no, no good food, you know, but when you get on stage, man, it's 90 minutes of euphoria, you know, it's utopia, if you will. And, and, uh, you know, so golf is probably a really, not probably, it is a very healthy distraction that also connects you, even even though for a brief moment, it connects you to the community that you're playing in. And I make it, you know, I looked at your, uh, what was your random golf club or whatever it is, the thing that, that, that you do where 50 people are playing a hole, and I would not do that, but... but <laughs> I love the sentiment of it that it it connects you to the people in that area, and you know, just like America, you know, we're all Americans, we we are, but every little town, man, has its own unique thing, and and it's not hard to spot because you know I travel all over the world. I mean, I all over the U.S. and I see it like like a fingerprint, you know, when I get there. So when I start talking to people on the golf course, you know, the the, the from the from the beverage cart person you know, to the waiter, to the bartender, to, to the greenskeeper, to, to the locals that are playing the course, asking them about holes and different things. And there's this dialogue, you know, that, that, that goes on and you're not going to get that when you're standing on stage, you can't have those conversations. So I'm out there in it. I love one of your comments in that little video it says I'm in the golf ball. <laughs> you, know, well, you, you know, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. like being, uh, being there in that setting with those people um, is, is the memory that I'm creating. There are, there are some memories you create on stage, but there's more that you create with individuals at a, at a place. If that makes sense. That's really interesting. I, um, I think about, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when you're in a car, you're kind of, you're kind of sealed in, but if you're on a motorcycle, you can notice the temperature changes and the smells and, you're just much more aware and like the way you're describing, I guess, being on tour when you, when you're just in the truck and, you know, in and out of the venue and then you step out to go play golf. It's actually what's, what's really going on here. That's not a lot of people use golf in that way that you're talking about where it's like um, it's a way of learning about culture. That that's, that's my life basically. Well, it's also helped me concentrate, you know, when I get over a shot, you know, learning that there can be downtime in between shots. You know, when I first started playing golf and I got real serious about it, I didn't want anybody interrupting me. I didn't want anybody talking to me. I was like five hours just, you know, and now I'm like, man, I'm just so chill because it's, you know, it's the shot. And you said something else on that little video. You said, you know, nobody cares about your shot. The, the guys you're playing with don't care about your shot. You get home, nobody cares about the shot. You, you're the only person that cares about your shot, you know? And why is it so important? Because we're measuring ourselves, you know, and there's just such this deep side, but I've learned to just chillax and, and, and relax when I'm playing. And so if someone wants to talk to me in between shots, man, it doesn't, it, it's great. And, and uh, there's room, you know, but for the most part, most conversations happen before golf, you know, on the driving range or inside the clubhouse or when I'm coming off the course and maybe there's fans waiting or maybe there's, there's just people locals waiting and, and we have conversations, but on the course, man, that four hours or three and a half, four hours, you know, is, uh, 
is such a way to recharge the batteries. And th this is true. And I've got lithium batteries, you know, so mine recharge pretty, pretty strong. And, and I get on the stage and I just, I can give it all, man, because I left, I left yesterday out there, you know, and it's brand new, babe. <laughs> you, you talk about recharging your batteries. I feel like um, a lot of people, if they met you, would have no idea that 24 years ago you were diagnosed with MS. It seems it doesn't see, it seems like it's the, not the right person. Like they, it's like, it's not you. It's some, it's some other guy named Clay Walker. You know, Eric golf has been such a huge, um, healer. You know, um, I first discovered that I had MS. I was playing at Pebble beach for the, for the first time and in the golf tournament and I took my club back. And when I did, I felt like this, something was electrocuting me in my neck like like not not like a pain but a but just this, this all over my body and i was like golly i got a pinched nerve or something you know and then i didn't think much about it but it did last the whole tournament and i got out to uh to canada on april fool's day april 1st we were playing to the saddle dome sold out and um and in that day i went on the basketball court and i just started falling down and it was, I had double vision, literally like, like they're like, it literally looked like the movies, you know, how they show it on the movies. It was that exact way. And, uh, and I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and my prognosis was horrific. You know, I had so many lesions on my, on my brain stem and brain and spinal cord that they, the doctor who diagnosed me, it took him all, all day and night to diagnose me. And he said, uh, I'm sorry, he said, but you're going to be in a wheelchair you know, in a couple of years and dead shortly after that. And that was a, you know, I'm not going to stay in that place right now, but, but, you know, there's a lot of tears, a lot of prayer, a lot of, a lot of everything. And, and, uh, and I, I just, uh, I did start golfing every day after that. And, and I, I was very prayerful on the golf course. You know, it was a, it was a different time for me. And so I, I think me and golf, uh, or golf and I fell in love during that time because I was able to, to, to pray better being walking and away from distractions. And, and so, uh, you know, I've always looked at golf as very spiritual and, uh, uh, as time went on, I went into what, what would be called a remission. You know, there's a relapse, I have relapsing remitting, multiple sclerosis. And so, um, I meant through, through a miracle happened and I have been, you know, relapse free for 20 years. And, uh, and I can tell you that every day, you know, I've got, a. will <clears throat> just show you this right here. All this is a mess, but this is my across from my, uh, desk right there is my chapel. I got this chapel right here where there's an old painting or, or stained glass, from a church in Philadelphia. And then uh, this uh, crucifix came from, uh, from the mission at Carmel in California. And then I got this, this old kneeler right here that uh, came from Italy, found it online. And so I just, I come in here every morning, I just start my day out, you know, I say a prayer. And one of my buddies asked me one time, he goes, why do you pray every day? I said, well, I said, well, I try to pray every day. I said, and if I do, I got half a chance to be a good person. And if I don't, I, I have no chance, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the, not to, 
not to ramble, but the multiple sclerosis piece of it, uh, uh, you know, I can, I can run like the wind right now, which is, you know, a, a miracle in itself. And, uh, doctors don't have an explanation for it. They, they can't, they can't, I mean, even the best specialists look at my, uh, data and all the, all the information and just go, it's a miracle. They, they don't really have an answer for it. <clears throat> I wonder if, I mean, I guess since it's positive news, it doesn't bother you, but I think the scariest thing in life would be to go to a doctor and have them say, we don't know what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that happens sometimes, you know, people can't get diagnosed and so they can't, they don't know what the problem is. They can't fix it. But MS has come a long way, you know, the, the research and, uh, you know, I have my own tournament now out at Pebble Beach. This will be our 13th annual one coming up uh, in 2021. We had to we had to postpone it this year or actually cancel it. And, and so be our 13th one. And one of my good friends, one of my best friends in the world, R.J. Harper, who was the uh, director of golf and then a VP at Pebble Beach Company, helped me get the tournament started out there. And uh, he died of pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago. And... Uh, it's, you know, those great friends, you know, I, there's not a day that I golf that I don't think about him and I golf a lot and I've got a head cover, you know, that uh, when we played AT&T last year, they honored, or a couple years ago, they honored RJ by giving all the participants a head cover with his initials on it and I have it every day. And I think, you know, multiple sclerosis is not all that bad. It could have had pancreatic cancer and uh, that's one that you don't want to fight. You know, it's just, it's just brutal, but multiple sclerosis, I, I think honestly, in, in, in 10 years, I, I don't, I don't, I, I feel we're going to have it. We're, it's going to be rare that you hear of someone suffering from it. People might still be getting it, but we're going to know how to, how to, how to arrest the disease. And I, and, and that's what my tournament is about out there is, is providing hope for people that have MS, you know, by seeing me golfing and, uh, and also raising money for, for to find the cure for it. Well, that's great. I, I, uh, I know a lot of, a lot of people listening, probably myself, you know, affected by this disease. So, um, that's a, that's a really big deal. I think I'm curious to know more about, you know, you just showed all of us your chapel. Um, and you talked about your prayer that you, that you say in there. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about how, I guess I'm more interested in, you know, you, you have the prayer and then as you go throughout the day, do you, do you, have a conversation with God throughout the day? And is that, what does that sound all like? Day. All day. All day. <laughs> because I fail so much, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, mean, I think that the biggest misconception about, about our relationship with God is that we're measuring, we're measuring ourselves up against what we think God is or what God wants for us. And, and that's the biggest mistake you can make because, you know, God made us, he knows we're broken. He, he knows we're, we're, we're so fallible. And when I fail, the, the thing I try to do immediately is go back, go back into a dialogue with God because the natural instinct is, is to not do that is to hide from it and walk away from it, you know? Um, but I, I fail multiple times in a day and and I just, I find my, my, my relationship is strengthened, you know, through, through that, that admittance 
of that failing and that, that asking of forgiveness. And I, and I don't picture God as saying you, you effed up. <laughs> you know, I, I, right. I picture God, I picture God as saying, Hey, Clay, give me another chance. Oh, uh, it's, uh, it, it's like, it's almost like he failed. <laughs> you know, it, it, I love that. And just give me another chance. And I go, oh, you got it. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, I, there's preachers out there that are going to have some pushback against that statement. I mean, <laughs> I promise you. But you know what? That's, that's, that's to me, it's personal. You know, that, that relationship is, is personal. And, and uh, I, I, I can't really find, you know, the God that I know is, is, is not, there's not a religion out there right now for me that really gets it all. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. There isn't really. No. Like we can talk more about that offline. I'm curious to know. You said golf is a spiritual game. That to me is um, that was true for me the moment I first stepped foot on a golf course, really, and I didn't even know it yet. I actually asked Bill Murray at the uh, AT and T um, uh, one day. I, I got a chance to interview him, and I said is golf a spiritual game? And he didn't say anything for a while. And then finally he said, you know, the whole thing is a spiritual game. So why wouldn't golf be spiritual? And, you know, it was interesting. And I, and I, and I really love that you recognize how spiritual the game of golf is. I'm curious to know more about that, you know, and I don't want to direct you too much. I feel like where you, where would you take that subject further? Well, to to layer on to the Bill Murray uh, uh, comment, Bill and I have have, have played golf together m more than once, you know, a few, a few times, and, and a couple times we've actually won the celebrity shootout together. So I wouldn't say we're best friends, but we we we've had dinner together, just the two of us, drinks, different things. But in one of my earliest years of playing AT and T, I was I was very nervous. You know, you're you're man. There 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 are tens of thousands of fans on every hole, and you know, Bill Murray's bigger than life there. You know, because of Caddyshack, among other things, and he's endeared himself to you know the, the to everyone there. You know, not the least of which are the fans. And if you if most people who have followed the AT and T for a while would recall. Uh, him literally pulling a woman, an older lady, down into a stand trap, you know, or bunker, whatever you want to call it. So on the 18th hole, he put, he took her out of the stand. She comes up, Bill, I love you. And he pulled her right down on her back into the sand. I'd be sued for everything I own if I did something like that, right? Only Bill Murray could get away with this. And I'm watching this play out. And, and I'm like, I'm mortified. She loved the fact that Bill Murray drug her down on her back. Her hair's all in the sand. She didn't even care. It was the greatest thing ever. And I watch. And then he picks her up. He kisses her. She walks off just all flustered and everything. I'm going, how does he do that? You know, Clint Eastwood could have done that, right? And, and so um, after or, or just before we're about to putt out, a group, we, we always get introduced to kids uh, who, who are facing some challenges and I, which I think is great of the AT&T and, and one of the little boys had, had, had cancer. He was probably, I don't know, maybe eight years old and he had no hair and he just loves Bill Murray and Bill Murray bent down, took a picture with him, 
hugged on him, kissed on him. I mean, just loved him. And, and so then Bill and I are walking up to get onto the green on 18. We're going to win the tournament that day. And we're walking up there together and we've been together all day long, you know, and I looked over at him and I said, Bill, we're shoulder to shoulder. And I said, I said, was that little boy terminal? And he shot me a look that would have just stopped a freight train. And he says, no one's terminal. And it, it resonated. I, I didn't say another word. His look said everything. It told me he's deeply spiritual. And uh, so it matches up with what, with what you said. He says, the whole thing is spiritual. So why wouldn't golf just be part of that? That's a beautiful story. And to, to answer your question, yes, I, I find golf is, you can either see spirituality in it or not. It's the way that you choose it. But I feel like it's much more interesting, much more rewarding, much more self-gratifying um, and improves your relationships with other people. When you, when you look, you said this in one of your comments on this, I keep going back to this video of you. You said that it makes you learn about yourself and the way you treat yourself on the golf course is the way you're going to treat others. You couldn't have said a more profound statement than that. And golf has literally has, has made me a much kinder, gentler, better human being. And, and I find that, playing it with people, uh, mainly people that I, that I care about deepens my, my relationship and bonds with them. You know, I, I have three sons soon to have four and, uh, and my daughter too, my daughter, Mary, she's 10. We all golf together and it's the greatest experience. You know, we, we we've never played 18 holes and I got my, I have kids all the way from 12 to two. And it's about the time, man. It's, it's about those moments spent there and hitting great shots. I've never seen one of my children get mad on the golf course. And, you know, it's because it's always been a place, one of reverence. You know, when we get on the green, I teach the kids, hey, this is, this is, this is a holy, holy ground. You know, you can, you can tear up the earth everywhere else, but when you get on the green, this is holy ground. <laughs> you know, take off your shoes. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's good training i like that it's uh it, it's it's helped a lot and uh but you know and offline i'd love to have the conversation we should play we should play nine or 18 holes together sometime and and i know you you're you're a world traveler you know, you've been in a lot of different countries experienced a lot of things seen a lot of different things um but there's a common thread you know through through mankind and there's a common thread that runs through just about all golfers who really do respect the game and I've seen that everywhere. And, and um, I, I think golf is a pretty good religion. I love that. I mean, I think one of the things that I'd love to see more of, uh, uh, you know, across the golf community would be, um, like you just said, like recognizing the similarities between us. I mean, you know, uh, the, 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 the landscape of golf, the game of golf, the, the, the group aspect of it. It's, it, it's such, it's such a great opportunity to see through all of the BS that is outside the world. You know, um, I remember like one time we were in Dubai and I was asking about why they wear the, basically the white sheet, you know, the Candora. And they were like, it, it equalizes everybody. There's no, I mean, you can wear a watch. Sure. But 
there's no Gucci, there's no, you know what I mean? It's kind of a leveling thing. And, and golf does that too. I mean, I'm sure you played with billionaires that would give anything to just get out of the sand trap, you know, or, you know what I mean? And then there's some kid who's just kind of like, most of the people on the PGA Tour, um, the, the female and male pro golfers came from, you know, they weren't going to country clubs as a kid. They were going to the public driving range. That's so interesting to me. Well, uh, you know, golf is not about perfect. You know, it's about getting it up and down. And, you know, that's why the pros spend 65, 70% of their time on short game because they know they're going to miss nine greens. And uh, sometimes they're going to hit it stiff and make birdie, but, but 50% of the time they're going to miss a green. And so it's really about minimizing mistakes and having the, having the grit in determination to put that ball in the hole. And that's what I see out of the pros that I don't see out of, uh, you know, almost every amateur A pro pro misses a green. And, uh, he's thinking, I'm going to hold it out for birdie. Like literally he thinks I'm going to hold it out for birdie birdie. And if he, if he, if he skulls it over the green, the next one, he says, I'm going to make par. I mean, literally that's what they're telling, <laughs> you know, amateurs go, I just want to get it on the green. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy with whatever. Yeah, there's a determination when they were something. I think all of them possess this, and that is they want to get the ball in the damn hole. And I mean now. They want to get it in there on the first shot. When they hit it off the tee, they wish they could hit it in the hole. And, you know, I have border collies. I have, I have five border collies. And I promise you, when you let my border collies out, they want to go one place, straight to the cow pasture. They want to work a cow. I mean, it's like holding back a freight train trying to keep my dogs from going to the cow pasture. And, and uh, they're disciplined with it like golfers are. But, but to me, that's what golfers are like, border collies. Man, they're smart, and uh, they, got, they got one thing on their mind. That's get it in the damn hole. I, I, did you, how did you get five? Was it four, not enough? And then you were like, I need a fifth one. Or did you have a litter or what? I mean, yeah, it works. It works like this. Uh, when you have one daughter, you know, in the household, um, she is going to, she's not going to let you get rid of the puppies. I mean, that's just how it happened. I mean, it, it was, it was brutal, man. I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I do, some, I listen to her and my wife. That's the blessing who runs the household. That's how we ended up with five, but we got, they're really great dogs and I love animals and I, I love dogs, especially. And, uh, they, they bring a lot of joy. There used to be this golf court. It still is, I guess, but, um, in, in Oklahoma, uh, called Oak tree. And they, they had two courses there. You know, they had the, uh, they had the one, one of the member side and then one was the, the man side, you know, they, they literally had a golf course. It was just for men only. And I remember this is early on in my, on my music career. I got, they let me on that side. So I went to go play and I saw a guy playing golf barefoot in his boxer shorts with his border collie on the golf course. And I thought, <laughs> this is heaven. This is heaven on earth, man. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> I love that. We need more of that in golf, right? Man. Yeah. They did a woman's course the same way, you know, get, have one for the women, you know, unfortunately it'd probably be a bunch of peeping Toms. Exactly. But, but, uh, that, that's, uh, that's really, uh, man, I, I, I can say that, you know, I would be so much less fulfilled without golf in my life. And, and I actually, you know, thought that MS was, uh, was going to 
take that away from me. You know, that was one of my worst fears. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I didn't think about losing my voice or not being able to walk on stage. I, I, I thought MS is going to take golf away from me. And, and it was a, it was a horrible defeating feeling. And, uh, and it's done anything but that, you know, there, there have been times in my life where I was a really low, low single digit handicapper. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to now is um, I haven't lost a lot of distance. You know, I'm i uh, I'm 51 and, you know, I feel my strength is still there you know, and I'm, I still got great coordination and uh, I, I would like to get down to scratch. You know, that would be a, be a really good, good goal for me and and I've been close before I used to play a lot of golf out at champions in Houston with uh Steve Elkington who Elk. who I think you know has the, the most rhythmic and uh and and functional and beautiful swing that there ever has been you know yeah. and and uh, he's also a funny Australian you know if you don't if you don't know him he has this this thing called secret golf which is you know just the bomb but um you know, having a lot of the enigmas taken away out of the game for me is what I see. And it's the same way with religion. You know, we, we, if we can compare those two, I think you're kind of a spiritual person. So I don't mind inter interjecting, you know, those, those comments every now and then, but enigmas to me are, uh, are killers of, of the truth. And, uh, and there are some truths that are that are objective and they can be known in both golf and religion. But using golf for a minute, you know, Steve, Steve taught me something that that 99.9 .9, and I, I literally mean that 99.9 .9 of golfers never know this. Your hands need to be slightly ahead of the golf ball at impact. And, and when you look down the shaft at the ball, there's an optical illusion there. And when you look at it, your hands look like that they're even with the ball, but they're actually behind it. And this is why 99.9% .9 of the golfers scoop the ball or hit it fat. They don't understand that to have your hands actually out there, either even with the ball or slightly ahead of it, it's going to look like it's that far out there. Right. And so, that's the first thing Steve did with me when he, when he started teaching me and, you know, it literally knocked 10 strokes off of my game immediately. Not, not like got to learn it, learn it. When, and, how long and, have you been playing? What was your handicap at the time? I was probably about a 17 when I met okay. Steve and I, I went from 17 to, to nine instantly. And, and then, then Steve said, uh, you know, uh, he goes, I'm on, we, we got in the, in the, the bunker and he drew a line in the sand and he said, uh, yeah, he said, I want you to straddle this line. He goes, and I want you to hit this line. I want you to go from, when you can hit it 10 times with every club, he says, we'll, 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 we'll get out here and hit some balls. So about four hours later, um, no, I, I never hit, I never hit the line. 10 times with every club, it, it did not happen. I was completely and utterly exhausted. And I said, man, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. I said, I feel stupid anyway. I said, look at everybody else is up there hitting on. And he looked at me and he goes, that's the difference between pros and amateurs. He says, pros know you have to be able to hit that line. And so I, I stayed in that line 
and uh, I stayed in there. And Steve and I, I, I played golf with him almost every day at Champions that he wasn't on tour, I wasn't on tour, we played together every day. And in those memories, to me, that set my foundation. So my understanding of, of, of golf in the golf swing is, is probably above average, thanks to him. And, um, uh, you know, I'll never be a pro golfer. Uh, but the enigmas that, that got taken out of, of it, that's one of the things that made me relax, you know, as a, as a person. And I, you know, in, in, in going back to, uh, to religion, you know, there are some things that, that we can know and, uh, and they live inside of every human being, you know, we know the difference between good and evil. You know, that's, that's in us, you know, we, we don't, we don't need a religion to teach us that, you know, God put that in us. And, you know, I definitely believe in intelligent design. I'm like, how could you not? You know, it's like, I, I love one of the old analogies. You know, if you think this is random, why don't you put a canvas out in a pasture, you know, with all the paints, the most greatest paints in the world and anchor it to the ground and come back in 3 million years and see if there's a Mona Lisa there you know, or something that, I mean, you know, so uh, I, I, I gotta believe that with the, with the beauty, you know, I've never seen anything worth having that wasn't worth working for or had some work put into it. And so, you know, I, I just think when I look at golf and I look at the surroundings, I look at the, I look at the, the natural things we would call natural, I do see the design in them, you know, and, and I want to believe that, you know, when my, when my body, you know, goes, goes lifeless, that I'm still living and that I'm on, a, I'm on not a, not in a, a different place, but just continue a journey that I get to learn, you know, for billions of years. You know, I just want to learn everything. And I'm like, there's no way with this brain of mine that I, I would be, I'd be so sad <laughs> if I don't get to go learn all the stuff that I don't have time to learn. I mean, like in my life, you know, I started taking welding lessons three years ago and, and I, my, I just wanted to be a great welder. I wanted, and I'm not a great welder, but I'm a really good welder. And, and I, I just wanted to understand, you know, looking in, in looking through that lens in the hood, you know, looking at melding those things together, watching these metals and picking the right rod and et cetera, and understanding it. You know, I, I have horses, you know, I have 15 horses in there, they're performance bred and, and uh, I work with them all the time, training them, learning, learning them and uh, trying to understand their instincts, you know, versus mine and moving them around and, and getting, getting control of them where I can enjoy them. You know, I find all that spiritual and, uh, writing a song, you know, um, looking at words, knowing that there are only so many words in the English dictionary, you know, and I've got to, I got to come up with a formulation of those words that are going to make people feel something. It doesn't matter right. how crafty it is or, uh, that isn't what people care about. They want that, that thing that touches them. And most of the time that's going to be in the human voice. It doesn't matter if you're a great singer. And this is another thing I have discovered that people absolutely can detect. I call it the EQ, you know, not IQ, but the EQ, they, people detect 
sincerity, honesty, and you can't fake it. There is no way to fake it. So all of that to say that, you know, I'm a work in progress and I look every day, you know, and I see God every single day of my life. And, and I talk to God every day of my life. And that's a, um, I mean, that's the goal, right? I mean, that's the goal really. All right. Express VPN. When you use the bathroom, you always close the door behind you, right? Whoa, this is a weird ad all of a sudden. You don't want random passersby looking in on you. So why would you let people look in on you when you go online? Honestly, I know what you do online and I, <laughs> I would definitely shut the door behind you. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like going to the bathroom and not closing the door. Did you know that your internet service provider like Comcast knows every single website you visit? Wow, I didn't know that. I'm going to leave the country. What's worse, <laughs> what's worse is that they can sell this information to ad companies who can use your data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. S-T-O-P. Uh, like a stop sign. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel. And who doesn't love a tunnel? I love tunnel. I'm a, I'm a tunnel fan. I'm into tunneling. Uh, it sounds like I mean something that I don't mean. But what I mean is I like tunnels. Anyway, between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. I use ExpressVPN on all my devices. And the best part is ExpressVPN, you don't, it's as easy as closing the bathroom door. Booyah. And it's soundproof. What? Call to action. So if you're like me and you believe your online activity is your business, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash Eric today. Use my exclusive link, express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Eric, and you get an extra month, extra three months free. Dude, that's a quarter of a year. Anyway, check it out, expressvpn.com slash Eric. All right, folks, real quick, Theragun. This is a new ad read, and it's coming from a fan. I am into the Theragun. Okay, feel free to ad-lib the introduction with personalized copy or start with below. The stress of daily life weighs on us all. Whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person like you and me, trying to get through the day, muscle pain and tension is a real thing. So here's the deal. You can try, uh, I use Theragun. It's a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest fears. I mean muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. Wow. That's a mouthful, a handful, and basically a muscleful. So anyway, that's because the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that's so quiet italicize this part is you will wonder if it is even on while you soothe your aching muscles with theragun's signature power amplitude and effectiveness so anyway i do love my theragun i've had it now for two years i got a replacement once oh they came out with a newer one and i was like send me the newer one and they sent it to me very nicely and i always have it in my bag so anyway try it for 30 days no substitute for the theragun gen 4 with an oled screen personalized theragun app and the quiet and power you need Starting at only $169. Did you know it's only $169, Bo? I did. That's a, that's a fucking deal. I got to say it right there. Go to theragun.com slash Eric right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash Eric. 30 days. No substitute. Anyway, theragun.com slash Eric. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason. And we have a couple of podcasts. If you, you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy. And we have a podcast called Dumb People Town, where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Um, I mean, we got to play golf. We have to play golf. How often do you play in these days? 
I played two or three days a week. Um, okay. And uh, I used to play five every week, minimum, sometimes seven, but, but five times a week. And, and uh, yeah, you're, you're in Austin. You got some great golf courses there. Um, I'll come down and we can go, uh, we can go play wherever you want and pick your best course and we'll, we'll play 36. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I've been, I've been, um, now that I'm, now that I'm here in Austin, I got a little more space and I was kind of thinking like, you know, it was interesting to hear you talk about welding and horses. Cause I'm like thinking about what the next hobby is going to be like. I gotta, I gotta find a new hobby. I don't know if it's going to be welding, but what do you think? Well, welding is safer than horses. Just um, <laughs> <laughs> some degree. Uh, but, you know, I, I read a lot. You know, I, I read pretty much every day. And uh, I, uh, I, I also I find myself looking at YouTube's, YouTube videos of people who are centenarians, you know, because I, oh. I, I, I find it fascinating. You know, and, and, and some of the common threads, you know, you, you are, um, a, they have, you know, one or two adult beverages every day with friends and family. Interesting. Important. It's important, right? So you and I could actually adopt each other, you know, as relatives. <laughs> If we're drinking together, that means we're exp we're extending our <laughs> lifespan, you know. And uh, I love that. Um, and that um, overall, they had a connection to ancestors, you know. That that they uh, they either had a room in the house or a place in their home where they had pictures of loved ones, you know, deceased and living. And they felt connected, you know, and, uh, you know, that's one of the things that religion does for me. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I lost my dad when he was only 62 and it, it, it affected me in a, in a deep way because he was diagnosed with cancer and he was dead in two weeks. And that was such a shock. I would, I would thought my dad would live to be a hundred. And, and so, you know, that, that it left an indelible, uh, memory on me. And, and so I, I, I feel him around me every day too. You know, I, I'm, and I, I can not audibly in my ear hear him speak to me, but I can, I can feel what he would say to me if he was standing there, you know, and, and it, and it gives me a lot of joy to feel connected, you know, um, and, and I don't think we're ever truly separated from our loved ones. I, 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 I don't subscribe to that. I, you know, um, and, and again, on the golf course, the strangest thing happened to me. I was reading this book. I think it was called Utopia. It was a, it was a book about a golfer who had, uh, he was a new, new pro, just turned pro. And he, uh, it was a big book, you know, back in the, uh, I mean, 10 or 10 or 11, 12 years ago, you probably remember the book. They made a movie about it too. And you didn't know if he made the putt. On the oh, yeah. Day. But it's something like golf. It's something. Seven, think, seven days in utopia, I think. Seven. That's it. Yes, yeah. exactly. I read that book and I was, we were in Hawaii 
And uh, it was my first time ever to Hawaii. And we were was sitting out on the Kapalua Beach in a on the lawn there. We had a really great place. And and I was reading that book. And the next week we were headed to Pebble Beach for me to play in the AT&T. And the guy in the book kind of runs away from golf and finds this golf course, you know, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. And he, the, the old, the old man starts teaching him some things about golf that he didn't realize the, the more, the spiritual side of golf. And on one of the holes in the book, the kids, they're the guy, the new golfers, you know, he'd been angry and broke his clubs, all this kind of stuff. And so he gets to this hole and he sees a grave. And I had this weird feeling come over me about my dad. And I, I literally started, you know, crying. I just felt I was just this weird thing. I'm not a crier. I told my wife about it. And three days later, when we got to Pebble Beach, um, I got the call that my dad had cancer and was in the hospital. And, you know, I, I was just, there's just no way that, that you can, that you can just say, oh, that's just coincidence, you know? And so even more so when I play golf now, you know, there's even a deeper connection. So it just keeps going with me. And, and uh, I think when you're open to it, you know, that, that the cosmos and, and um, I, and, and I call it God and the angels and, and, and all the heavenly hosts, you know, for me, I know some people think differently. I'm, you know, I, I, I don't deprive anybody of their, their spiritual beliefs by any means or, or begrudge them of it. But I, I feel, man, I, I am, I just think that there's, when you're open to it, you're, you're going to see signs and you're going to, you're going to feel things that, that, that are, that are very supernatural and, and, uh, and they scare people sometimes, but if you're, you're really open to it, 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 it should excite you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's first of all, beautiful story, I think. And I'm sorry to hear about your father. Um, oh. I'm, I'm okay. Cause I, I know, I know he's okay. You know, it took me, it took me a while, took me six months, you know, to actually stop crying. Sure. <laughs> and I then, can imagine. And no, but now it, it's like the greatest thing. Man. It's like this beautiful circle. You know, I know one day it'll, 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 it'll be my time. And I, and I also know that, that my kids are going to be okay. You know, they'll, they'll be okay. Cause, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to let, you know, they know that story about my dad and, uh, you know, we talk about him all the time. You know, I have his tractor here and uh, a lot of his tools, his axes, you know, knives, different things. And we all use them. You know, they're not put away like, oh, this is sacred. Nobody can touch it. It's, they're used you know, because that's what my dad wanted. He, he wanted to be used, not not put away. Uh, but thank you for saying that. I, I, um, I, I'm blessed, you know, that I got I got two weeks, you know, by his bedside with some of the greatest conversation my dad was not religious at all my dad never went to church and never saw him he never took me to church um we never hardly talked about you know a god much less specifically god 
and uh, on his deathbed. It was the coolest thing, you know, ever. Um, of course, I was devastated. And there were moments that I would be by his side and, and I asked him if he believed in heaven. And uh, he took like, I don't know, like you were talking about Bill Murray taking a while to answer you. My, my dad took like, I don't know, 60 seconds, which is an awkward amount of time for silence, right? That's too long. <laughs> and, and he, he said, uh, he said, I think it's there. He said for each one of us to know individually. And I was like, man, what book is he even reading? You know, I was wondering what, what's going on in that head of his, you know? And, and I said, uh, I said, and I, I took the leap of faith, you know, and I asked him, I said, do you believe in God? It took even longer this time to answer me. And he said, uh, he said, I do. He said, but I believe in the devil too, son. He said, and you can't outrun that son of a bitch. And I mean, just as just as cold, it came piercing right through the air, man. When he said that to me, it blew my hair backwards. I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> and you know, I pressed in a little harder, and at first, I didn't realize the magnitude of the words. And I get now; I, I, I live differently because of his answer. Um, I, I asked him if he was right with God. And in the most piercing way, he looked at me, people to people, and he says, that ain't between you and me, boy. And I thought, is that, is he, does he have some guilt on him? Is he bothered by something? Maybe I pressed something sensitive, you know? And so I thought, and I waited about maybe five minutes and I'm still sitting there after he said that, you know, and there's just, I, I didn't respond to it. And then I got the true message. I said to him, because I thought at this time, this was the right thing. I said, dad, I said, I, we don't know what the outcome is going to be here for you. I said, but I want you to know, you know, if indeed it's your time, I said, I want you to know that I'm right with God. And here came the answer. He said, that ain't between you and me, boy. He was telling me he knew he was leaving. He knew he was dying. But he wanted me to know that there's not a more sacred relationship than that one. And he's had it his whole life. And it was none of my damn business. Hmm. So when somebody comes up to me and asks me, am I saved? Those are going to be my words. That ain't between you and me. Right. <laughs> so it's that personal yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. and and i look at, at god in a much different way now you know because of of 
my dad was teaching me all the way into his death and all the way past his death. He's still teaching me. I'm still learning from a lot of those words that were said on that deathbed. And, and I want to tell you that was a blessing. Cancer was a blessing that my dad didn't just get taken like that. And I didn't get to hear some of these profundities that have shaped and, and blessed me, you know, 10, 11 years later, 12 years, 2011, you know, nine years later. And, and I'm, man, I'm just, I'm sorry to take up all the time saying that, but I, I no, it's a great story. I mean, it, it strikes me that, um, you know, the gratitude that you have to be able to, you know, talk to your dad in that way. I'll bet a lot of people say that to you about your songs and your lyrics when you obviously have written some, you know, profound stories and some of them even like, um, I, it just, I, I imagine that people come to you and say something like that. What, what, what is, what do you hear that really resonates with you from, from a fan of your work? What are you like? Wow. That's, that's incredible. Is there some. No, you, you always get, uh, if you've had some hits, you know, you, you most artists will, will get, get it when someone tells them that a particular song, the words of it, you know, affected them in, in a, in a certain way. And, and I, I think that's very objective and, and wonderful. You never get tired of hearing that. It's like someone telling, you know, you think a woman ever gets tired of you telling her she's beautiful? No. <laughs> even if they, even if they, even if they're like, oh, you're just saying that. They don't get, look, they never yeah. get tired of hearing Keep saying it. A singer never gets tired of hearing someone say, at least I don't, that, that there's something about my voice that moves them. My voice, not not the words, the actual voice. Interesting. That's that's the greatest, you know, feeling of, of uh, what you say. What resonates, because, you know, voice is not about words. It's about sound, and the right. more pure sound you can make, that's to me the the, the greatest accomplishment of a singer is what sa- is your sound of your voice can you can you get the most purity out of it it's kind of like can i hit a shot on the center of the cup club face because that produces the most distance right <laughs> you know here i go back to the analogy but it's 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 literally uh you know i compare golf and singing a hundred percent they both have to be rhythmic to be great and at the moment of truth which is the end, the end, you know, <laughs> at this, okay. At at the moment of truth, the impact zone is where it counts. You can have all kinds of styles, Jim Furyk, you know, all, all these swings. Moment of impact, same way we're singing. You've got to squash the ball at the moment of impact. You've got to put it on the inside quadrant, hand slightly ahead, and compress it. I like that. That's, that's the real craft of it all. I, I think that's because uh, also that's probably in the moment. If, 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 if someone's listening to you in the moment, it's not even about the words. It's about the sounds. And um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Have you ever heard someone do uh, a karaoke uh, version of one of your songs and been like, <laughs> well, I don't do karaoke anymore because um, 
You can't. My my piano player, who is like the karaoke king, he 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 asked me to go to a karaoke bar with him one night, and and uh, so I went in, and this is probably I don't know, fifteen years ago, and I had written a song uh, that was a, a a number one hit called Rumor Has It, and and it was it was at the karaoke thing and I heard someone do it, you know, and so I, I didn't, I did. So I waited about an hour and I said, Hey, I'm going to do rumor has it, you know? And so I go up there. Now remember we had just played a sold out arena in Denver. Right. And we're going partying afterwards. Amazing. We walk in a place where they are, where they have country music fans. I get on stage, no cowboy hat or anything. And I sing rumor has it song I actually wrote too, right? I come off the stage feeling pretty good about the way I'd sang it. And this woman, you know, she's probably, you know, 40, late 30s, 40 years old. She she looks at me and she goes, pretty good. She goes, you're no Clay Walker. And and so (laughs) I go on past her and man, like I'm really thinking, was she joking with me? And some other guy, there's two guys sitting over here. And one of the guys goes, uh, but no, that's not him. He says, that's not him. He goes, uh, he goes, he, uh, Clay Walker's taller than that and a lot better looking. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. and I told Van, I said, this ruined my confidence. I'm never, I'm, and I, I'm not saying karaoke again. I'm dead serious. <laughs> that was it, man. I was done. <laughs> that is too good. No karaoke for Clay Walker. <laughs> that's too good. Oh my goodness. Yeah, actually, I, I'm not a very good singer, but the first time I did karaoke, I didn't really know what was going on. And so I go in and I pick Billy Joel, one of my favorite singers, right? And I pick New York State of Mind because it's one of my favorite songs. I didn't realize it's a seven-minute song with, like, no backing. And, I mean, it's just terror. It's horrendous. Well, you know what? I think I'll, 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 I'll dust off my karaoke boots, you know, and uh, if you'll sing too uh we'll we'll pick we'll pick a i'm, I'm dead serious and we'll, we'll video it we'll video it okay after around the golf make it 18 then instead you know <laughs> make it 18 instead it. of 36 we'll, we'll go out and uh and do that but man overall man my, my career has been so fulfilling and uh you know i'm you know during this this uh like every other singer it's weird not being on stage it'll be a year you know for me when i'm if i if that or more before i'm able to get on stage i've never gone this long in my entire career since i started without being without doing a concert so it's man there's a lot of rust to knock off for everyone i i think the uh entertainers are growing very restless you know um and, and of, of course, we really don't know. We don't know. I mean, I, I see stuff. There's so much confusion out there about, you know, about this stuff. But I, I know that it's real. We just, we don't know what the extent of it is. And, and or, But I want to get out there and sing. Mike Marker has been so blessed. And I am thankful to have a new record deal, you know, on uh, on Toby Keith's record label called Show Dog. And, uh, the, the early indications are that this new song we have, We All Need a Bar Sometime, is uh, is going to be a hit. <laughs> and that's uh, that's fun, you know, yeah. knowing that that you could come out, you know, and still win, you know, PGA Tour event 
and when you're over 50. You know, that's uh, when you do that, you're just pretty impressive. You know that. I love that. I love that, man. Well, that's great. I mean, Clay, thank you so much for your time. And thanks for all you've done for the world of golf and MS and country music. And uh, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to, to a duet, I guess. I mean, I have no business anywhere near you on, on any stage, but karaoke would be fun. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing golf, too. What, what is what is your current handicap or index? It's about six. What about you? I think seven. Oh, okay. Okay. We could, we could make some money together, you know, depending on, do you gamble usually on the course or no? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, you know, you, know you, you can't talk Vince Gill into gambling. He, he won't gamble on the golf course, but I, really? I certainly, I certainly will. You know, I, I mean, got to play for something, you know, that leaks. That's my philosophy. I, I'm not, I've never asked him why he won't, you know, twice. Um, <laughs> but, but I, uh, I would love to, to, to play for something, and uh, no matter what it is, it's beer, money, yeah, uh, another another chance for an interview. I don't know. <laughs> uh, hey, let me give you my phone number. And you can text me. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have yours. And I, I do come to practice a lot. So.